All right, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 9. The message is entitled, An Invitation to Fasting. And we're going to start with a question about fasting. In Matthew 9, we have the disciples of John. And this is one of two times where we see the disciples of John the Baptist. They show up to Jesus and they are asking Jesus questions. They're saying, there's things that you're doing that we don't quite get. Can you explain it to us? So it's Matthew 9 and in Matthew 11, they show up and they're wanting to understand. And really, you can kind of feel it at, at, the, at the bottom level for the, the disciples of John. They're really trying to understand, are you actually the Messiah? I don't think it's John the Baptist that's wondering. I think it's John's disciples. John the Baptist is in prison at this time. The disciple, his disciples are undoubtedly worried, like, is this, is this really the guy What's really going on here? And so they go to Jesus, and they, want, they have, a, they have a, a bold, you know, it's, it's an honest question. It's very bold and zealous. They're, they're, they're wanting to know the real deal. So here's, what, here's where we pick up the story. Uh, verse 14, Matthew 9, it says this, Then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Why do we... And the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast. That's an honest enough question. They're thinking, you know, here's, here's us. We're following John the Baptist. He's the one that is supposed to be introducing the Messiah. He's the forerunner, and he's taught us to fast. And then we look over at the Pharisees, and we know that they're, they're really just religious leaders. They have an exterior that looks holy, but on the inside, that they're, they're full of dead men's bones. We get that about them but even they fast. Now, how come we were taught to fast and they fast, but your own guys don't fast? And Jesus said to them, and he's gonna answer it three different ways. He gives three different analogies. We're gonna look at the first one here just to sort of just catch his answer. He says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast. So immediately we see they asked about fasting. Jesus uses this term mourning, and then uses it interchangeably with the word fasting, right? So he's speaking on the same subject. He wasn't changing the subject. They said, how come we fast, the Pharisees fast, your guys don't fast? And Jesus says, there's a time coming when they will be fasting, but here's what you have to understand. While the bridegroom is with the wedding party, and that's what he's talking about here. He's using a, an analogy, speaking of a wedding party. When the bridegroom is actually in the wedding party with the, the, the attendants in the wedding party, that's not a time to fast, he was speaking to their heart. He said, do you, do you guys understand who I am? I'm God in the flesh. I'm here right now. And remember what your own leader, John the Baptist, said. He heard my voice. He says, I rejoice that I hear the voice of the bridegroom. He goes, and my joy is full. And he says, listen, I'm right here in your midst. This is a time to celebrate. 
This is a time to enjoy. This is a time for us to, to enjoy one another. It's not a time for mourning. It's not a time for fasting. And I, and I think this is you know, really important because Jesus is using certain signals to speak to their heart. We're gonna get into those in just a minute to, to actually draw them into the story. And he's, he's using bridegroom language. He's using language John the Baptist would have taught them. He, he's making this comparison. But he makes this huge point. And this is what I really want us to dial in on today. He makes this point that though my disciples aren't fasting right now while I'm physically with them on the planet, things won't always be like this. There's a time coming when things will shift. There's a time coming when me, the bridegroom, when I'll be taken away, and then that will be a time for fasting and mourning. Do you see that? He's proclaiming a change. He's proclaiming a shift. Now, here's the thing. As we're talking about fasting, and I know, I do know, we are in November. Some of you have already got your Thanksgiving meals planned. Some of you do Hanukkah just so you can have extra meals, and then you got your Christmas meals planned. You're, you are ready for holiday parties. Some of you are already thinking about, is it going to be a 10-pounder? Is it going to be a 14-pounder? Are we going to smoke the turkey, or are we going to try to fry it this year? Are we going to big green egg it? How are we going to do this? Are we going to have stuffing or dressing? Or are we going to dress it with stuffing? How are we going to do this? And you're already planning your holiday meals. I want you to have an exciting, awesome holiday time. I'm not trying to steal your Thanksgiving from you. I'm not going to hit you with a, a, like a clobber knocker at the end and say, you have to fast on Thanksgiving, all right, or Christmas or whatever. But what I am going to do is give you a basic biblical principle of how Christians are expected and supposed to live from the mouth of Jesus. Now, this is going to be maybe challenging for some. Some of you, you're prolific fasters. You've been doing it for years. Some of you, this is like a new sound. But, but here's the point. Jesus actually institutes a version of fasting and prayer in this passage that's supposed to translate to normal life for his followers. Can I get an amen right there? Be a good. And that's what I want to teach us is that the Bible, through the lips of Jesus, gives us instruction that we're supposed to live lives of fasting and prayer. He explained that there's this day coming when he would be physically absent. We understand that he was speaking about the cross. He was speaking about the resurrection. He was speaking about the ascension. He was giving indication that he would be taken. We, we get that point. And he says, in that time, in that season, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. Who's the they? The they are the disciples and the friends of the bridegroom. That's everybody that would believe in Jesus from that time till now, all the way until the Lord returns. All of the followers of Jesus, we qualify as friends of the bridegroom or attendants of the bridegroom. Does that make sense? 
And so he's saying, listen, there's a time when I'm gonna be gone. I'm with you right now, it's a time of rejoicing. But when I'm gone, it's gonna be a time that my disciples, my followers will fast. And this is the point I wanna make. Jesus in this passage is normalizing fasting with prayer as how we're to live as Christians in this age. It's not super spirituality. It's not for the Green Beret Christians. It's not for weird people. Amen. It's not just for, you know, the people that are really serious, but us who are just, you know, not as much, you know, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. No, this is for the followers of Jesus. Just like take up your cross and follow me is for the followers of Jesus. Just like deny yourself and follow me is for the followers of Jesus. Fasting is for the followers of Jesus. Now you're like, look, I just got an extra hour of sleep last night and you're gonna come in here and mess with my food? And the answer is, I'm not messing with your food. God is messing with your food. Because somebody would say, well, isn't that a little reckless? I mean, you're telling people not to eat. And I go, well, it's not me that's telling people not to eat. It's God who made people that's telling people not to eat. So clearly, Jesus doesn't have a problem with telling us to not eat. In fact, Jesus did a lot of not eating, as did his disciples. But my point is this, that Normal Christianity means we're living in a season when we realize our bridegroom, Jesus, he's been taken away. He's not with us. And from that revelation that our bridegroom, that he's gone, but he is coming, that there is a longing and a desire that comes up in our soul and it causes us to live with a heart of of spiritual aggression towards him, a reach by the grace of God towards him. And one of the ways that we express that reach is through fasting with prayer. Amen. I remember years ago when I was trying to explain this, as we were starting the house of prayer, I was trying to explain this, that we, we, we want to live lives of fasting and prayer. And, and I went through and I looked at all the verses about prayer in the New Testament, and I looked at all the verses of of fasting in the New Testament, and I found this, that almost every time prayer and fasting, it's mentioned together. It's not some special thing. It's not some, you know, out of the box thing or some next level kind of thing. Prayer and fasting, it's normal. Can I just get everybody to say it's normal? It's normal. And what I think our challenge is, is that for so long, we have had examples that are subnormal, that are less than normal, that we've lost one of these most powerful graces that Jesus has given us to enable us to engage him, to encounter him, and to experience him, and, and to walk you know, alive in the kingdom of God. And so for, for me to you this morning, I really, really want to Uh, emphasize this point that fasting is normal for believers in this age. It's something that believers are invited to do by Jesus himself. He set up a new way that things were gonna go. And I wanna go through some details of this passage so that we can really get it clear that he was setting in motion the normative lifestyle for, for, for Christians. So 
Uh, and if you're following with the notes, it's in Roman numeral three. Here's some, some noteworthy details about the passage. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up by giving us some spiritual benefits of fasting. So as we're walking through this, he uses this terminology, friend of the bridegroom. He says, can the friends of the bridegroom, can they fast when the bridegroom's with them? Now it's interesting because it's John's disciples that came to Jesus asking the question. And, and why is this interesting? Because John is the one that coined that phrase. So John's disciples are showing up and they're saying, hey, you don't look like what we would have expected the Messiah to look like. Um, is this real? I think that's really what's going on in them. Is this real? Are you really the guy? And Jesus goes, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is with him? And he's quoting John. He's sending them a signal. And, and so what he's doing is this. He's saying, number one, uh, you know, there's a lifestyle that my followers will lead. It will look just like the guy that you've been following, John the Baptist. This one that coined this phrase, friend of the bridegroom, is going to look just like him. And then he says, uh, if you're wondering, you're worried about who I am, what my identity is, fear no more. This is what the friends of the bridegroom are gonna live like. They're gonna live just like what John's been living like, just like what he's been teaching you. You guys aren't left out, you're actually in. This is what it looks like. So he uses this friend of the bridegroom to answer their question and he's, he's actually giving them subtext so that they understand that he really is the guy. Secondly, he's identifying that there's a change in the way that fasting's gonna look. Here, li listen to me. Pharisees fasted uh, twice a week. And there was, you know, according to Zechariah, there was two months a year where there were institutional fasts that everybody was supposed to, to be a part of. And so this is the normal system of the day. The normal religious system of the day was fasting is something religious leaders do. It's what is normal. Here's what Jesus says. He goes, there's a, a time coming right now. There's a time happening right now where we rejoice, but there's a time coming where I'm gone and you're gonna fast, but it's not gonna be about religious ritual. Hear me right now. Fasting is not about religious ritual. It's not about somebody trying to outdo someone else and gain a spiritual badge. We, we don't fast to try to prove anything to God. We don't fast actually to get anything from God. We actually fast to end up letting God get us. It puts us in a position of, of being able for where you know, our defenses are down and now God can apprehend us. Because really the whole fight of, of creation, it's not God against the devil, it's God against you. God's fighting for your heart. He's fighting for your soul. He's fighting for your emotions, your will. Fasting puts you in a place where you're, you're susceptible to him. And so he's, he's saying, look, this fast that I'm calling my followers to do, it's gonna be out of love. It's not gonna be out of ritual. It's not gonna be out of duty. It's gonna be out of desire, amen. And beloved, that's how we express hearts that, 
that say, we, are, we love you, God. We want you, God. Several weeks ago, I preached on being refreshed by the love of God. And I, and I used this term from, from Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse five. She says, sustain me, refresh me. Tell him I'm lovesick, lovesick. And this is what Jesus is actually pointing toward. He's pointing toward a lifestyle of lovesickness where you're saying, Jesus, I want you more than anything. I can't do without you. I'll even push away from the table and lean back into your chest so that, so that I can experience the, the nearness to you in a way that I wouldn't before. I'm lovesick for you. This, so that's what he's instituting is a fast out of love. Now listen, before anybody thinks we're about to get religious and, and force people to do fasting or something like that, we're, we're, we're not gonna be passing out ketone strips at the, uh, on the way for people to breathe on them or figure out if this is real or you really fasting. We're not gonna do that. We don't care, honestly. We don't measure anybody's spirituality by whether or not they fast. We wanna invite you to it. We wanna invite you into abandonment radical, loving abandonment that actually is normal for what Jesus said, where we live our lives loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, let me just parentheses. I know there's people with medical conditions. I'm not talking to you. I'm not telling you if you've got a blood sugar thing or some kind of dietary problem that you need to not eat and just go put yourself in harm's way. We are not saying that. But what we are saying is for, for those that don't have a condition like that, there is a, a real, a godly, a spiritual way that we can engage our hearts with the Lord by just pushing back from the table and instead of eating food, we feed on the word of God. Instead of you know, filling and, and, and satiating our flesh, we, we seek him in, in prayer and in worship and it, and it satisfies our souls. Am I making any sense? And this is what Jesus was instituting. And then just to go a little further with that, he was so intentional about this language. Yes, he was sending John's disciples a hint, hey, friend of the bridegroom, that's what John came up with, I, I'm speaking that same language. But he was using bridegroom language on purpose. He wanted his church to relate to him as the bridegroom God. He was referencing Isaiah 54, five, where he says, your maker is your husband. He was referencing Isaiah 62, six, where he says, your, 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 your God shall marry you. He was referencing these, these verses, speaking of himself. Now that you see me, God in the flesh, here I am, Messiah, I'm the bridegroom. I want you to relate to me in love and in passion. I'm going to relate to you in love and passion. I want you to relate to me in love and passion. This is how we are going to interrelate when I'm taken away. This idea that Christianity is a list of rules, of do's and don'ts that people have to follow is completely false. We're to fall in love with Jesus as a revelation of his love for us. And from that place of loving him and our hearts bursting in love, man, we don't want anything to get in the way of that loving relationship. I don't think about the 10 things I have to do to please God. I just love him. And it's natural coming out of my soul because his love has so overwhelmed me. 
I was speaking to a minister this weekend, and, and, and the guy's so successful in ministry, and, and, and he started sharing with me some deepest fears he has. It just causes him to interrelate with people in such a broken way, and he's so, so successful, and running with all the in crowd, and, and I'm talking to him, and I said, man, and he's just confessing this broken fear that he has to me, and I just said, man, listen, you need... You need a revelation of the love of God. I, I told him, I said, I, I said, for 13 years of my life, I preached fire and revival and repentance, and that's it. That's all I preached. Holiness, repentance, fear of God, hell. I couldn't preach hell hot enough. And it's true, you really can't. There's nothing wrong with any of those topics. The problem was I didn't understand the heart of God. I had him as a mean, austere judge, ready to condemn anyone that would step out of the way, and not a God that's burning in love for his people, drawing people into relationship because he longs for intimacy. I explained it to him. I said, something happened to me when I found out that God's a father and God's a bridegroom and that he loves me even in my brokenness, I said, my heart settled. And just on the other line, on, on the other end of the phone, I could just hear him just clearing his throat. And he just, he goes, that's what I need. And he's so successful in ministry. He goes, I, he goes I've never had that. A revelation of the love of the father, a revelation of the love of the bridegroom. And beloved, this is the point that Jesus is emphasizing. He goes, I am the bridegroom. I'm going away. There's a day that I'm coming back. The bridegroom is coming back. I'm coming back to marry my bride. And in that in-between time, while I'm gone, the bride is going to long for me. The friends of the bridegroom, they're going to mourn for me. They're going to want me back. They're going to feel like things are not okay as long as I'm not with them. And in that place of longing and mourning and desire, they're actually going to seek me through fasting and prayer. It's not, it's not a religious badge. Don't come up to me after the service and tell me how many days you fasted this year. I don't care. I just don't. What I do care is, do you love Jesus? Love him. Love him. And this is one of the ways that we express it. And that's what he was putting in place. All right, last notable thought on this passage, and I'm going to give us some benefits of fasting. And I'll get you out of here in time to go eat. Praise God. All right. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. He's describing what's necessary. He's saying we actually have to use an appropriate patch for a garment, and he's describing when I leave, there's an appropriate way we have to live. You can't use an unshrunk patch on an old garment. That's not going to work. There's a patch that's already been shrunk that works on that garment that's going to gonna be appropriate for that need. And he says, he's making the point that when I'm gone, there's a need. And the need is for my people to seek me in fasting and prayer. And then he uses this next one. Nor do they put 
new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And I just want to give a little, uh, I'll just give a little, um, I don't know what I'm giving, an advertisement. When Jeff preached at the Dawsonville Revival, it's been six weeks or something, he preached on this passage about new wine and new wineskins. And, and I'm not puffing up my friend, but I'm telling you, it was one of the finest messages I've heard on new wine into new wineskins. He broke it down with clarity and precision and power and told his testimony. And I would just encourage you, if you can get a hold of that, listen to that message. It was so, so well done. And while I am emoting and gushing, I would just tell you this, side note, side note. I'm sitting there in worship, and I'm looking at my friend Jeff Lyle, and I'm looking at Dustin, and Gabe was already with me, praise God. We're, you're about to be as courageous as anybody because you're getting ready to go plant. And I'm looking over to my right and over to my left, and I'm thinking, it's rare that I know men and their wives that have soldiered through as much as these men have soldiered through to get to where we are right now. And I just became overwhelmed with gratitude for Jeff and Amy and Dustin and Michelle and just what it took to get here. Because you don't know, I know all the battles they fought. I know what they've been through, the difficulty that they've been through in church. And they came through with happy hearts, unoffended towards Jesus and unoffended towards people. And I just think, man, had I gone through some of the same difficulties that they've both gone through, I don't know if I would have fared as well. And I'm just honored to run with you guys. You and your wives, I love you. I'm so, so honored. I'm just overwhelmed with it this morning. I just, I mean, I just went and put my hand around him, arm around him, started rubbing his back. Dude, I love you. <laughs> He's like, good, bro, it's good. And I'm like, no, I just, I feel it. It's good. But the, the new wine and new wineskin, here's the point. Again, he's speaking of what's gonna be necessary, what's gonna be appropriate for the days ahead. When the bridegroom is taken, what's gonna be appropriate? And here's what he's making. Here's the deal he's saying. He goes, new wine is getting ready to be poured out in my ascension. When I'm taken, it's gonna be new wine. What you need is something that's gonna hold the new wine. And here's what church leaders and church strategists always do. They go, okay, We've got to figure out the right ministry strategy. We've got to figure out exactly how to do it so that the new wine isn't spilled. We've got to figure out how to organize our ministry to make it a new wineskin. And that's not at all what Jesus is even talking about. He is not talking about the organization of ministry. He's talking about the way that believers are going to interrelate with him moving forward. Because he's about to ascend and he's about to pour out the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing is he's going to give them a mechanism to hold the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's getting ready to come. And what he describes is fasting when he's taken away is what enables us to be sustained in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on, I'm preaching good right now. He's saying fasting is the lifestyle that enables us to stay in the flow of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
with his followers fasting and longing for him, that continues to get you refreshed, rehungered, refilled. Refreshed, rehungered, refilled. That's what the lifestyle of fasting and prayer does. Here's how it goes. You fast because you're longing for him. You do the fast, and if you're me, you don't feel anything. <laughs> Jeff goes, I love fasting. Man, I just hear the Lord's voice so clear. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel anything. I, I, I start having to cast down thoughts of like fried chicken. I just have to cast it down. Popeye sandwich, get behind me in the name of Jesus. But that's where I'm at during a fast. I'm just, I'm just being honest. But for me, it's afterwards. It always seems to be afterwards that there's a satiation that comes on my soul, a love that fills my soul. In the fast, I feel like I'm being poured out as the prayer. And that's really what happens, especially if you fast a long period of time. There's a point where you're not able really to, to utter the prayer very well. You just sort of breathe little prayers, but you are the prayer. You're giving yourself to him as prayer. I'm, I'm giving myself to you. But it's after the fast that I feel that refreshing. And that, so, so you long for him and you fast and then he pours out on you and, and, and you feel that infilling. And then here's what goes on. You fast to sustain it unto longing for him again. And then he pours out on you again. You, you catch what he pours out through fasting. You sustain it unto longing again. And then he pours out on you again. That's how it's supposed to work. We have... I asked, I asked uh, one of our leaders that's over in Northern Africa, how many? But we have about somewhere between 35 and 50 people right now. Most of them are our international missionaries that are in a 40-day fast right now. And the next three days is basically the final part of that fast. And, and many of them are really, they're pouring themselves out. And, and, and here's the thing, I, you know, when, when I fast, I like to be in an environment where I'm physically comfortable. I, I always wonder, how did Jesus fast 40 days in the wilderness? It's so painful. Well, these guys are doing it in developing nations right now. And they're, they're seeking the Lord. And they felt strongly from the Lord that they were supposed to lean in in a 40-day fast for a breakthrough in the region. And I don't know if you're following what's going on in the Middle East right now, but so many of the things that have been happening have been happening exactly at the same time as they're on this fast. And, and I'm, I'm trading messages back and forth with them and doing videos and, and FaceTime, and, and, and I just said, guys, we want to stay with you. We want to, at home, we want to we engage with you. And so I'm thinking of these next three days as we talked about this global bridegroom fast as days to even get into solidarity with our brothers and sisters overseas that are contending. And I know that phrase, global bridegroom fast, if you just hear that phrase, you go like, that sounds weird. What is that? Well, it's right out of the Bible. So when we use biblical language, here's the thing. If it sounds weird to us, it might mean that we're not acquainted with actually the biblical verses. Does that make sense? We're more acquainted with, you know, whatever that's common in our society than we are actually with the scripture. It's, it's biblical language that exp explains believers around the world taking three days, the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every month, to set themselves before Jesus in a Matthew 9 type of style. 
And so what we do here is we shut everything down. We, you know, we, we, we do the minimal amount of, of administrative work that we have to do just to sort of keep things rolling. And we ask every one of our pastors and leaders, don't do any extra meetings, no planning meetings, no tactical meetings. Let's fast and pray. Let's seek the Lord. I don't know if you know this, but every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of the month, all year long, all of our pastors, all of our leaders, we've been shutting down our meeting schedule just so we could seek the Lord together. It's what we do as normal. And, and you know what? It's not just for the pastors and the leaders. It's for all of us. And, and, and so I'll just give this. You figure out how the Lord would invite you to participate. Some of you, it's like a Daniel fast where you won't eat anything pleasant. You know, so you eat whatever your unfavorite <laughs> vegetable is. Some of you guys are like, oh, I'd rather not eat. Well, do that then. You don't have to eat. To me, a Daniel fast is hard, like a real one. Like you can go no meats and sweets, and that's a kind of a modified Daniel, and that's doable. And you're like honey butter bread, baby, honey butter bread. It's not, honey butter is not exactly a sweet, you know. Look, I've done this a, a thousand different ways. Peanut butter isn't candy. It, it qualifies, I think, if you're on a den. But it's, it's about pulling back from your normal meals and seeking the Lord instead. And it's what Jesus said. And I just think we've gotten away from what's normal in Christianity so much that fasting sounds like some bizarro thing, but Jesus was so clear about it. And Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you fast... Take a shower and put your hair gel in. It's what he said. Anoint your hair. He said it. <laughs> Don't go around with a long face. What's going on? Oh, seeking the Lord and fasting today. The, the struggles of a believer in this age, I tell you. Suffering for Jesus. What kind of fast are you on? Well, I'm not eating any chocolate. Glory to God. It's like, that posture is ridiculous. That's not the point. The point is, I love you, and I need you, and I'm broken, so I really need to lean into every, everything you've given me as a tool to put myself in the way of the Holy Spirit somehow working in me. And fasting is one of those tools. I, look, if you want me to break down how does this work, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. You don't put the hamburger in your mouth and somehow your spirit gets more connected somehow. I don't know how that works exactly. All I know is it works. It works. And he gave it to us as a tool to put ourselves in that place of susceptibility to the Holy Spirit. I'll just be clear. I've watched in my life now over 20 years of regular fasting and prayer, hangups, bondages, issues in my soul, I've watched them fall off of me by having a regular life of fasting and prayer. Some of you are dealing with a bondage that you need to put yourself in a place of voluntary weakness before the Lord so God can break in on your soul and break that thing right off of you. And it's just through fasting that it's gonna, it's gonna happen. All right, I'm gonna give us now uh, five benefits, five spiritual benefits of fasting. First, Psalm 35, verse 13, so, so clear. David said, I humbled myself 
through fasting and prayer. So rather than that super spiritual thing, religious badge thing where you're trying to brag about how much you're fasting and everybody thinks you're awesome, it's actually supposed to do the opposite. You're actually supposed to find a deeper humility in it. Fasting isn't a bragging point. It isn't a spiritual badge. It's a place to put yourself humbly before the Lord. It's a way to say, I need God so much that I shouldn't eat because I need him. I humbled myself through prayer and fasting. Secondly, it's a practical expression of spiritual hunger. Right there in Matthew chapter five, verse four, he said, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And then when we tie that to Matthew nine, Jesus equates mourning and fasting. And then in verse six, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 4, mourning, comforted, hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Fasting is a practical expression of spiritual hunger. If I'm longing for you, Jesus, I want to put myself in the way. I'm going to push back from the table and put myself before you in fasting and prayer with an open heart, open hands, and really just, just believe that somehow this lean into you is going to be met by Holy Spirit activity. Simple. Third, it puts you in a place, ready, of voluntary weakness, Now, we've emphasized this this year many, many times, but God doesn't need your strength. He wants your weakness so he can be strong through you. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's dialogue with the Lord, Paul had this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that was buffeting him, it was coming against him, and he asked the Lord three different times, remove this from me, But whatever that buffeting was, it was putting Paul in a place of weakness. And the Lord said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, so I will rejoice when I'm going through trials and difficulties. I I, I will take joy in that because he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And to the Ephesians, he says in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord. Being strong in the Lord isn't about you getting revved up in your personality and in your gifts and just trying harder. Being strong in the Lord is saying, God, I can't do this without you. I need your strength to move through me. Fasting is a practical way to put yourself into voluntary weakness so that the, the, the power of God's grace can manifest through you. So we humble ourselves through fasting. We, it's a practical expression of spiritual hunger. It's a, it's, a, it's a way we can get into voluntary weakness. God meets us in those places. Fourthly, it sensitizes us to the Holy Spirit. And I'll just give you, if this message is meaningful to you, I'll just give you Isaiah 58. And there's a whole list in Isaiah 58 of things that are benefits of of fasting. And one of them is, uh, it, it seems to indicate we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. By putting ourselves in that place of weakness, by getting our flesh out of the way, by silencing the voices of all the other things around us and putting ourselves before the Lord, somehow it causes our spirit to be able to hear his voice more clearly. 
Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you had a room full of people all talking at the same time and you removed most of them out of the room, then you could hear the person on the other end of the room speaking. Well, that's how it is with fasting. You remove things that are getting in the way, that are impeding your ability to hear so that you can hear Holy Spirit more clearly. Lastly, there's an increase of Holy Spirit activity, of authority, and breakthrough that happens through fasting and prayer. And I want to reference Mark chapter 9, verse 29. The disciples, they have this young man, his father comes, brings this young man to him, to the disciples, and he says, man, I don't know what to do with him. And he's throwing himself in, in the fire, and he's, he's hurting himself, and, and what do I do? What do I do with him? And the disciples go, we know what to do. And they roll up their s- sleeves, we're going to get him. Devil, come out, or we're coming in after you, and nothing happens. And the young man is just like he was, and his father is distraught. And the disciples tried their thing, and it didn't work. And Jesus is over there, and they go, hey, Jesus, we're striking out over here. Could you, like, you know, you know, do some Jesus stuff, please? And he comes over, and he casts it out with a word. And the disciples, they ask the, the right question. They go, um, we did what we normally do, but it didn't work for us. Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says the most stunning thing. He says, this kind, it only comes out by prayer and fasting. Interesting that there seems to be an element that we step into spiritual authority in a greater dimension through fasting and prayer. You don't earn it. You become weak, and the power of God comes through you and manifests through you in a way that seems to be more acute, more powerful. And so through fasting and prayer, there's this this greater manifestation of of authority and breakthrough. And that's what Isaiah 58, 8 says. He says, once you've done the fast the way that God's prescribed, he goes, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. And so I just want to emphasize that again, that I've seen breakthrough in my own soul in ways that I can't attribute it to anything else except for the Lord meeting me in that place of fasting and prayer. And so I really, really, really want to encourage us that if we haven't made fasting a normal part of our lives, it's time. Amen. Amen. I'm not letting y'all off the hook. You're not going to tell me, good word, brother, and then go out of here and not fast. If you're not going to fast, that's fine, but don't act like you liked it and then just, you know, what I'm saying. Like, we've got, I'm feeling very concerned about even my own ministry because I preach the word a lot, and I'm concerned about preaching the word and teaching the word, and people aren't doing it. And I I feel an accountability on that myself. Like, no, really, beloved brothers and sisters, let's do the word that we heard. I heard a leader say this years ago, John Maxwell. He says, we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. So I really want to call us to it. I want to call our whole spiritual family to it. And no, I'm not going to ask you to fast on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Christmas Eve. But I am going to ask you to make fasting a normal part of your life. And we were just talking about this beforehand, how if you schedule it, it's so much easier to do. 
Just schedule it. And the way that I do it is I just schedule one day a week. This is my day. This is when I fast. And then we do the bridegroom fast together. First Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every month. Now, you don't have to do it like I do it. You could fast, you know, if you don't, if you're not, if, if you've never fasted before, try just a meal. You, because you fast meals involuntarily all the time. You got busy, you worked, whatever. You're starving by dinner. That happens. So you, you can, you know, in the flesh, you can just at least pull that off. I'm not suggesting you do it in the flesh. I'm suggesting you just like skip lunch, pick a day, skip lunch, and read your Bible and pray that day. Just make it a normal part of your life. And then, you know, once you get that done pretty good, go ahead and make breakfast part of it. And then once you get that done pretty good, go ahead and make it dinner. I'll give you a little trick. Here's a little trick. You want to fast 24 hours? Start fasting right after you eat dinner, all the way till you eat dinner the next day. Glory to God. I know a lot of these tricks. <laughs> Counts as a day a week, 24 full hours. And it's the lean of the heart. It's not being perfect. You know, I know a lot of people, they fast right after breakfast to right before lunch, you know, and just. <sighs> but it's the lean of the heart to step into what Jesus said to lean into who he is as a bridegroom and to let your heart engage with longing and desire for him. Amen? All right, let's stand. We're, we're committed in our leadership team to live this way. I, I really wanna call our whole spiritual family to live this way. I just think it's normal Christianity. I, biblically, it's, it's just normal. And so I even want to ask you this morning, just I'm going to pray, but if you'd say, I want to commit to fasting at least one day a week, I want to pray for you. I want to ask the Lord to release grace to you. So let's just take a moment, set our hearts before the Lord. You've heard the word. You've seen the scriptures. Maybe you're already doing it. That's awesome. Or maybe you want to make a fresh commitment to the Lord and ask the Lord for grace. It, it takes grace. You can't do this over the long haul without grace. So Lord, here we are, we're looking at the word, we see what you said was normal, and, and we just want to live biblical Christianity, we just want to do it. We don't want to just hear the word and not be doers only and deceive ourselves. We want to hear the word and do the word. And Lord, we want to enter into this thing of having a heart of longing for our bridegroom, Jesus. So we want to live lives, lifestyles of fasting and prayer, fasted lifestyle, the regular rhythm. And so, Lord, I just pray for our whole spiritual family for the grace to fast and pray. And so I just want to invite you, if you'd say, I'm, I want to make a commitment to the Lord right now to fast one day a week. Maybe it's a meal, but you're going to pick a day, and you're going to fast, and on, as a regular thing, you're going to calendar it, and you're going to make it a regular thing. If you'd say, that's me, I want you to pray for me for grace to walk out what, I, what I'm saying before the Lord right now. If that's you, I, wanna, I want you to raise your hand all over the room. Many, many, many. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Release the grace of fasting and prayer. The grace of fasting and prayer. And Lord, all these benefits and many more that I haven't named, would you release them into our spiritual family, into our families at home, into our spiritual family, Give us the grace to seek you, 
The days have come when the bridegroom's taken away. Then they will fast. Lord, we want to step into that reality and all the blessedness of it. Here we are in a time where the world wants to feast, feast, feast. We're going to feast. But Lord, we want to set aside our hearts to fast and pray. Lord, release that grace in us right now, we ask. In the name of Jesus, everybody that agreed said amen. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. Amen. You're dismissed.